This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. So the, the title was Is Self-Esteem Possible? And, uh, but I didn't make up that title. The, in, most of the titles they made up. So what are you going to talk about? Well, I can talk about that, but I can talk about it. I can really do anything. I, I've got a lot of shirim. Like on Torny Time, for example, I have, right now I have 272 shirim. Sure. Sure. Well, I'm almost always talking about self-esteem. Almost always. Like of my 272 titles on Torney Time, probably 269 of them are about self-esteem. Yeah. But if you if you wanted to uh, focus me in on something specific, we could. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, I'm still. I, I got to do that anyway. I have a little homework, to, meaning a little. Uh, I owe everyone a little something. So, but of course, the, whoever those hundred women were are not here now. So, anyway, I, I was going to talk about this. I did a whole sheer on how to how to have love in your life, like real love in your life. It was a whole sheer on it. Were you in that sheer? It was mostly women there. Anyway, but that, just so that I can answer that. Any of you ladies were there? You, you were there? You were there? You were there? So you were there? No? You weren't there. Anyway, the secret to having love is to give a lot of it. When you give love, it does something interesting to, to people. Because when you're loving, people notice that you're not like everyone else. People aren't generally loving. People are generally guarded. And because you're just being loving, and people see you're not guarded, you're actually really being caring and loving. So they realize that, hey, my most important need in my life is love. And here's the op- now I have an opportunity, because the fact that this person is being so loving means that they're pretty safe. While all the other people are wearing a t-shirt that says, I'm not safe. Meaning they're feeling not safe, but they're also projecting, you're not safe with them either. But when you're being loving, you're actually protect, you're projecting vibrationally that you're a safe place for love to occur. You're a safe address for love to occur. And when you're a safe address for love to occur, what's the proof of that? How loving you are by you being a very loving person. So then what happens is people are... People just kind of are magnetically attracted to you. And so people just want to be connected to you when you're, when you're loving. And you can even fake it till you make it. Like literally, if you may not be, because you've got to be pretty clean inside. To be truly loving, you have to be pretty clean inside. Meaning you have to be someone who's not you know, berating yourself all the time. But even faking it, even if you're not clean inside, but you're really caring and loving to everyone outside, you'll see that, that people will reciprocate. People will, people will feed it back right to you. And Well, that's back to the self. Now we'll start talking about self-esteem. Here we go, self-esteem. So, <clears throat> uh, I don't know what to do for water. I'm just going to hope no one uh, drank out of this. No, no, I'm good. You, you saw bottles out there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With a cup, cup would be great. Yerushalayim, no one drinks out of bottles. You can find some poor kid like covered in dirt on the street on a hot summer day. You want to give him something to drink, he'll only drink it with a cup. Meanwhile, like the richest people in Tel Aviv, are, like they'll do the like the the, the lowest stuff. You, like rich, rich, rich people doing the lowest stuff. Well, you got the poorest kid in Bnei Brak. Won't. Well, drink water unless it's got a cup. <laughs> it's like, like a, there's a dignity to from Yidin. You see, in the Goyesha world, in the Goyesha world, you have, um, the richer they are, the more dignified. The poorer they are, like you go in the inner city, that's where all the crazy stuff's going on. Like there's no dignity there. In Eretz Yisrael, the richer you are, the less dignity and the poorer the neighborhood, the more dignity. It's the opposite of the world. Bo'chato adoinoi l'hainu melech o'inam. Shahakul nebrevo.
Okay, here we go. Let's start. So, if a, you have 500 amazing days as a child, except for one, because day 301, something happened. Like it might have been a big bush, or it might have been who knows what happened. I mean, it could have been a bush in school, or or uh, maybe a bully beat you up, or someone stole something from you as a kid, or or it was your turn to read and you didn't do a very good job, or you didn't get picked for the play, or you didn't get picked for the for the game. Something went wrong on day three hundred one. Tell me, of those five hundred days, which one are you going to remember? Three hundred one. That's your day. 301 was a defining day for you. A defining day, a self-defining day. So, it's crazy. I mean, this will be, I have a list of questions I have for God. Not that we get to ask questions, but I'm just thinking, in case you get to ask questions when you die, this will be one of my questions. Is why is it that we can live 500 amazing days minus day 301, but 301 is the day that actually stamped us for life. Like, what's up with that? That doesn't make any sense. Now, what happens as, when people are kids is, is we get these stamps on us as children. There's different kinds of stamps. The example I gave was at day 301, something happened. But there's other stamps that just come from family dynamics. Like, for example... There are families that can make their, their children feel unimportant. And so that can be going on for years and years and years. Where it's just, the children aren't important. You know, meaning they're important to feed and they're important to clothe, but they're not like chashiv. They're not chashiv. And so there's dynamics in every family. There's, there's, um, I spoke earlier about the dynamic of parents using the kids to, for their kavod. So, meaning the, the kids have to be a certain way so the parents have the kavod and stuff. But, but then the kid doesn't feel like they're hashiv in that case, in that situation. The dynamics of, of upbringing and the stuff that happens, the first example was something happened, then there's the dynamics of a family. They stamp the way we feel about ourselves. Now, let's just say something happened in school. And now you came home as a kid to your parents' house. And the thing that happened in school, let's say, made you feel like you're stupid. Or maybe unwanted. Now, when a kid feels like, they're, oh my gosh, like I just found out for the first time I'm, in, I'm stupid or the first time they found out they're unwanted, or the first time they found out they're ugly, or the first time they found out they're incapable, or the first time they found out they're unworthy, or the first time they found out they're not lovable, the first time, whatever, whatever it is, when they get home to their parents, do they tell their parents? Do they go up to their parents and say, you're not going to believe what happened today, and I feel so unlovable? Do they say that to their parents? No, and I always wonder why. I can't tell, I don't know why, why kids won't tell their parents. My kids tell me, meaning I see on their face, you can see on the face of a kid that something happened that day. And so I'll take the kid on a long walk because you don't want to be abusive and like try to make it come out. But I'll take the kid on a long walk until they tell me what happened so that we can get it out. Because that story about themselves, that negative story about themselves, if it's fresh, if the paint's still fresh, you can take it off. You can literally take it off that day. So you got to really have your finger on the pulse of the kids to help them, to restory them to a positive story from a negative story. But once you've got someone who's an adult, I would say from 18 years and up, those stories are locked in. And therefore, and that's, that's what I do in the, in the Possible Use Seminars. That's where we're going like really deep into the story about ourselves. You should know that a lot of the stories are really secretive stories. They're so secretive that you don't even know it. Meaning you have stories about yourself that get stamped, stamped into your heart. And they have remained inside of you ever since. And you don't even know they're there. And I'll tell you why in a second. 
Before I tell you why you don't even know your own story about your own life, before I tell you that, first I want to just mention, the kid doesn't tell their parents about it. But now we're going to go one step further, is that the story that we have about ourselves, it becomes a vibrational energy that attracts more of the same story. So if you find a kid that wasn't picked for a show, like a girl who wasn't picked for a show, you could put money that they're likely not going to get picked in the future. And a boy who doesn't get picked for the team, you can put money that it's likely they won't get picked in the future. Like if you have a kid who's been bullied, and then you go on a family vacation and he's playing in a park with 100 other kids, but there's a bully amongst the 100 other kids, he'll smell out your kid. And your kid's going to wind up getting beaten up on some playground with a bunch of random kids he never met in his life. They smell victims. The bully smells the victim. That's why you'll notice in business, some people just like every single deal they go into, they get screwed. You know, how can it be that someone has such terrible luck? And the answer is, something happened when he was a kid. Something didn't work out for him. And then nothing works out for me becomes the, the inner stamp. Nothing ever works out for me. And then they go into every business deal with a vibrational energy of nothing ever works out for me. Um, women in America have a 1% chance of, of a, uh, of a uh, what do you call it? Whatever, to be, a, to be attacked by a man. I don't know. What's it called? Uh, what? Sexual assault, yeah. A uh, woman has a 1% chance, not in our communities, but in all of America. You know, a woman has a 1% chance of sexual assault. The, um, if, God forbid, that happens to a woman, so her percentage chance of being sexually assaulted a second time should be minus, like, hundreds of thousands, because it already happened, meaning she's already fulfilled the 1%, so now it should be minus a bunch. So it turns out that they have a statistic that if a woman was sexually assaulted, she goes up to over a 40% chance of being sexually assaulted in the future. Whatever happens to us gets, gets stamped inside of us, and then it becomes a vibrational energy that comes out of us, and it causes people to interact with us accordingly, based on that vibrational energy. That's the way of the world. That's the way things work. Is there a real thing to the vibration? For sure. For sure it is. Like, for example, have you noticed, I don't know if you've noticed, I've never seen this guy before in my life. You, it's funny you're talking right now. I've never seen him before. And I, there are about, I don't know how many people in the room with, between the women and the men, but let's say 30 people maybe. I've been talking to you almost entirely because of your vibrational energy. You notice I keep looking at you? Yeah, I've been looking at you a lot. And the and your vibrational energy just makes and it won't just be me. You'll notice every class you go to, there'll be a lot of you'll get a lot of eye contact more than anyone else in the room. What is that? Um, I don't know what it is, but I love it because when you're one of the tricks in public speaking is speak to someone in the room. Like speak personally to somebody. Everyone will feel you're speaking to them, but you're really speaking very personally to somebody. So you've been my personally person yeah it's not just that it's it's uh, whatever it's an energy it's energy and there's also there's obvious things that people are doing and stuff you know who sits in the back of the room who sits like this you know there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff we're showing too energy wise but even if you don't show it uh, you know I had for example I had a I had a guy come to me in Yerushalayim. He says, can I park my Agala? He wanted to go to Mincha over my house. I live in Bate Breides, in the shuls upstairs in Bate Breides. So he says, can I park my Agala? Agala is, what's that, a stroller? Can I park my stroller in your house? So I said, why don't you park it next to my stroller? Because right in front of my house, a little patch of dirt where the neighbor puts a sukkah. I said, put your Agala next to mine. Mine's been here for about eight years. He says, no, it will be stolen. like... <laughs> <laughs> Why would, uh, my Agala sitting here eight years? Mine's nicer than yours. It's not going to get stolen. 
And he's like, Rabbi, I brought it to the shuk, filled it with food. I went in to get some more cucumbers. I come back, it's gone. I live in an old building up a staircase. You can barely get it up the staircase, but I always bring it up because when I left it down below, it was stolen amongst all the strollers. So finally, I got another, a third stroller. I brought it and I keep it at the top of the steps. I go into my house, I come back the next morning, it's gone. <laughs> if I park my stroller outside your house, it will not be gone after, it will not be there after Mincha. I finally open my door, I say, okay, put it in. Put it in. Meanwhile, my stroller, a nicer stroller, is sitting there for eight years. Sitting right outside the house. Are you saying this vibration works even when they're not present? Yes, on our stuff. Works on our stuff. It's shocking. That's is this is what Betacha comes in the picture? <laughs> 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 yeah, it's weird. And I'm the opposite. I can't lose something if I wanted to. Meaning I'll, I'll have something that's just gone. Like, it's not impossible to get back. Like, if we're river rafting in the Jordan, it flew out of the boat and was gone. And I don't even, I don't, it'll be at the bottom of the river somewhere. When we get to the bottom of the river, someone will be like, Somebody lose, you know, whatever it is, and I'll just be like, I'll take it. You know, it's mine. Like, it's amazing how this vibrational stuff works. And the same thing works with, with someone who feels like, meaning let's say someone was hurt a lot uh, emotionally, meaning they grew up in a home where it wasn't safe. It just wasn't safe. The heart's not safe in this home. So that same person will find themselves isolated even once they're married. They'll be married. They'll get married. You know, thank God in the Hasidic world, your parents marry you off. You know, because otherwise it would have been impossible for such a person to get married. And but they'll find themselves isolated even in their marriage. They won't be comfortable. People won't be comfortable with them. And the and then you'll see another person who's just like they're from a safe home, and you see they just interact with everybody. Like there's just a a vibrational reality. Most of my entire career is just going on vibrationally. And there's very little of what I'm saying. It is very much of my vibrational energy that I'm sharing with people. Now, why I'm bringing up vibrational energy is it's, it's a valid every time the stuff that's from our low self-esteem, meaning our issues, Every time that little voice inside our head about us speaks and people like relate to us that way, it gives another validating stamp that it's true. So after a while, we just believe it's absolutely glot true. Like No one can argue, because I could give you a hundred examples that it's true. So I didn't tell my parents about it, so they weren't able to, they weren't able to get rid of it for me. Maybe I didn't want to hurt them. I didn't want them to think I wasn't special. Maybe I was afraid they wouldn't listen or whatever. So we don't tell our parents. And then that same vibrational energy keeps feeding back to us. So which means it's got to be true. Now here's the next move. When we have that, when you have a negative thing you say about yourself, well, so now you need a positive thing to say about yourself. And so what we do is we create a personality that will cover up what we're saying about ourselves. And that's why most of us don't even know what negative thing we're saying about ourselves because we've been so busy saying the positive thing about ourselves. So what ha- in general in a human being is you've got this beautiful child, that's the two-year-old, the toddler. That's the mal that every beautiful two-year-old has. And that's why you'll, you'll notice two-year-olds are always the happiest person in the house. They're the saddest person when they're sad. They've got a, meaning they have full spectrum capability of emotion, while everyone else is kind of like much colder. They love more than anybody in the house. The two-year-old has the most energy. The two-year-old has no fears of rejection, no fear of failure, no fear of anything. They are by far, meaning all your goals as an adult were already achieved. You already had them. You were two. Everything you've ever wanted, you already had. But what happened is stuff went wrong. And when that stuff went wrong, our self-esteem went down. The way we saw ourselves, our self-image got crushed by lots of situations. 
And our parents can't watch over us all day and make sure nothing goes wrong. And anyway, a lot of this stuff comes from our parents. So it's probably better they weren't watching out, watching us all day. And so, this becomes our vibrational energy, but we don't know about that energy because we've already covered it up with a whole other personality. And because we covered up with a whole other personality, nobody actually knows who we are, including ourselves. Nobody knows who we are because we've got, what's, we've got this negative voice inside of ourselves being covered up by an external voice, by an external packaging, so that no one knows this about us. So all they know is this, this mask we're wearing. And, so, and we don't know who we are because we think we are that mask. We, and we don't even see that that's a mask. We think that's who we are. So we spend our whole lives living inside this kind of Purim story. But whatever the mask is that we wear, that inner vibrational energy of our negative voices inside our heads about ourselves is more powerful than any mask that we could wear. And so we keep getting the lousy results. Even though we meet a lot of people who, you know, they got a big smile, they're putting their best foot forward, you know, they're really trying. And that's why you'll often hear the word trying. Like people are trying. You ever heard that? You'll never hear me say the word trying. I never try. I never try. When you're having negative voices about yourself and then you create a personality for everyone to know so they should never know what you're really saying inside, you spend your whole life trying. And of course, what wins is the negative voice is going to be your actual vibrational energy and everyone's going to, everyone's going to get that instead of the... instead of... You know, what you wanted was they all should believe your story. They should believe your external, you know, packaging. So that belief about ourselves is called the inner negative belief. Every human being has multiple inner negative beliefs, meaning each one of you probably has 25 different things you say about yourself. I myself have discovered, um, over my years, I've discovered... Probably, probably about 25 major negative voices about myself. And for every single one, I created a, a, um, I created a self-image kind of band-aid, like a makeover, for every single one. I'll give you an example of one. Uh, I, I came from a, a very wealthy family. And, the, uh, and not only our family was wealthy, the entire Glazer clan were very, very wealthy people. And so, so the, and it was transgenerational. It was like generations of these people. And so in, when you have generations of really wealthy people, what, they, what happens is money means you're somebody. No money means you're nobody. Money means you're somebody. No money means you're nobody. That was the culture of the family. Which is really crazy, because our family's from Marmarsh, which was like, no one had anything. We lived on mud streets. And uh, it was all just Heilige, Heilige Yidin in our family, like really Heilige Yidin. And somehow, when they got to the American dream slash nightmare, uh, it became a, a, a real money family. Now, here's the interesting thing that a lot of people don't get. Is that if you're nobody, if you're if you create a culture in a family, if a family has a culture of you're nobody without money, so guess who all the kids are? Who are all the kids? Kids don't have money. Who are all the kids? Nobody. nobody. So all the kids are are really nobodies, and the and so I didn't know this, but I was raised feeling like a nobody. I only figured this this voice out this year. Like this is the first year I ever figured this out. So I was raised feeling as if I were a nobody. Now, so what was the cover-up? So I didn't have a cover-up when I was a kid because I didn't even know I was doing this. But, but amazingly, when I was 11 years old, I, I must have had that nobody m- moment. And, and I decided, maybe it wasn't 11, I don't know, it's a certain age. I don't remember exactly when, 
But I decided that money was evil. I created a hushkafa. Money's evil. Money's evil. You're somebody without money. And money's evil. This is kind of funny to say to you people, you're like New Yorkers, where money's everything. But, but I was this little rich kid in California, and I said that money was evil. And I went on to be the person, the rich kid rejecting money. And I did this for years and years and years and years. Meaning I refused to wear like regular clothes and I refused to wear anything nice and I refused to, you know, like my parents, like to get me in a suit for a bar mitzvah, you know, meaning get me out of my surf shorts for a bar mitzvah was like, it was like pulling teeth trying to get me to put on a suit. And I just rejected money. Now, it, very interesting that when I got to uh, Yerushalayim, and came to yeshiva for my first time in my life. I mean, I literally learned olive base, 23 years old, when I got to yeshiva. So I noticed there's a whole culture around Torah, not around money. And so that was very exciting for me. I was like, oh, perfect. Like a nice, poor community to be part of. But I didn't meet poor I thought I had met poor people because of Rechim and are pretty poor and Yeshiva Bachrim are pretty poor, but I didn't realize that I had not met the true poor people till I met Yerushalmis. When I met the Yerushalmis in Meisharim, I met like real poor people. And then the next thing you know, I become a Pins Karlino Chosen. Pins Karlin is like the poorest Chosidus in the world. Why? Because before the war, if you moved to Eretz Yisrael for a hundred years before the war, till the war, if you moved to Eretz Yisrael, there was only one Hasidic Shastiva in the old city. And that was in Yerushalayim. And that was Karlin. So no matter what you are, you could have been a Bavar, you became a Karliner. Like everyone became Karliners back then. That's all you had. And everyone's screaming their heads off. After a while, that, it's contagious when you're in Karlin. You, now you're screaming your head off. Next thing you know, you're a Karliner. So, so everyone became these Karliners there. And... And the, uh, oh, I was just explaining why they're the poorest chassidus. Is after the war, you know, after the Holocaust, all the chassidus, they went all around the world. Some went to Eretz Yisrael, some went to England, some went to America, some went to Canada. And many of these people did very well financially. And so there's always the American friends of, there's the Canadian friends of, there's the, you know, United Kingdom friends of. And they're building shuls and building infrastructure and building moizdas and Eretz Yisrael. Because the Karliners were in Yerushalayim for all these years, Karlin was in Yerushalayim. They, they, you know, in Yerushalayim, they only found out about the war in the last year. The last year of the war was the first time they knew that there was a Holocaust going on. Like they, they didn't know anything was going on the whole time. They were totally isolated. And so... After the, after the war, there were no American friends. Now, by the way, I just want to say that the first time ever we're doing, you know how everyone's been doing this matching thing around the world? Which is really a beautiful thing, because like, I now have money, my money in Sons, I now have my money in Gul, I now have my money in, in Satme, I have my money in the Mir, I have my money in, like, I have Litvish neighbors who did matching, who are like, they don't even talk to me. You know, and, and then they finally, like, now their, shul, their yeshiva's doing ma- a matching thing. Now my money's in their yeshiva. And you realize everyone's money is in places we'd never give. So, like, HaKadosh Baruch Hu somehow created this matching thing that we would all have, old Kalal Yisrael being Arevim Zelazeh. It's an amazing thing. I never thought about it because it's making me crazy, the matching thing. Because, you, you see, fundraisers, you can push them off. You can say, listen, come to me next month. Check in with me. You know, in two months, come back. You can't push off a guy who's been doing you favors for like the last two years. He's your neighbor. Every time you need milk, he's there. And now he's asking you for 100 bucks for, for bells. You know, you just say, what are you going to say? Come back in a month? You <laughs> can't say come back in a month. You write him a check. One after the other, after the other, after the other. I don't know who came up with this matching thing. It was genius. So... What? Nobody likes it. Nobody likes it at all. Yeah, Pins Carlene's now doing their first magvis. 
which is amazing. So if you hear about it, give something to like the poorest Hasidus in the world. Because we do have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids and all these Maizdas and no American friends, no British friends, no Canadian friends, no friends. You know, and, and so they're finally doing a Magvis. Like, yeah, oh, I, oh yeah, I'm sorry. Thank you for bringing me back to my story. So here I found the poorest Hasidus in the world, and I was like, oh, you know, you know, I was in. But not only that, when I got married, I moved my wife to the Shtetlach of Jerusalem by Machane Yehuda. There's a Shtetlach. It actually, on the Israel census, it comes out as the lowest income uh, square mile. Like that area where we live is the lowest thing. It's, it comes out as a slum. Yeah, I moved my wife. My wife's from North Stanford, Connecticut. You heard of Stanford, Connecticut? You guys ever heard of Stanford? I married a girl from North Stanford. It's all mansions. Like our whole house is like the size of her bedroom. Yeah, and I move her into this, this totally chalmy stetl. And my, I grew up in a mansion. <laughs> In LA. And meanwhile, I've got this whole like, this whole external game. But meaning all of this was ultimately something I created to protect myself from ever feeling like what? Like nobody. But what's underneath all of it? Who's underneath it all? Nobody. Nobody's under all of it. And I discovered that this year about myself. I had no idea. I mean, this whole time I've been like wearing my zebra kaftan, you know, like, you know. <laughs> you know, raising my kids in these moistas. You know, and, the, and meanwhile, what am I up to here? Like, what kind of mishugas is this? And, and so, but you, seriously, we're all that blind. Every one of you are just as blind as I was for the last, I don't know, 51. So how many years is that from 11? 40 years. I was doing this for 40 years. And I'm leading the possible you, which is the whole point of the possible you is to uncover this stuff. So you can get to your stuff. But I'm telling you, we are like onions. And we got layer and layer and layer and layer. And everyone who does my seminar only gets to do their outer layer. But within a year or two, they find, uh-oh, and uh-oh, and uh-oh, and uh-oh, and uh-oh, and uh-oh. But hopefully, by the end, you're like this sweet part of the onion that my wife always makes sure is in my chicken soup on Shabbos night, that it just melts in your mouth. That's, that's the kind of zokhen I want to be, where I'm just emistic through and through. Because I'm not nobody. I'm really someone super, super special. Super special. And that whole like money repellent I've been wearing all these years, because I've been literally wearing like money, like bug repellent, I've been wearing money repellent for all these years. Because if you play the game I'm playing vibrationally, you literally push away money. And, and so ever since I discovered this about myself and shifted my vibrational energy, ever since I discovered this, it's been a completely and total financial turnaround in my own life. And I didn't do anything differently. I haven't shifted anything. I mean, everything I'm doing is the same stuff I was doing before. But all of a sudden, it's like shefa. Because I've been playing games all this time. So all of us are inside a game. So here's it again. There's the beautiful child. That's your beautiful child. Then there's this chatzitza of all the crisis, trauma, stuff we went through as kids. Because no one can really watch over us that, you know, to make sure we get picked for everything. How are your parents going to make sure you got picked? How are your parents going to make sure you didn't blow it when it was your turn to read and hide it? You know, uh, no one could protect us. And so then we developed all these negative voices about ourselves. But then we had a third level chatzitza from the emiss of who we are, which is these personalities we created that no one should ever know about the other one. But Lemaisa, between this beautiful child and this chatzitza of what we say about ourselves, and then this double chatzitza about what we're, sorry, what we said about ourselves, and then the double chatzitza of what we're telling everyone else about us, meaning how they should see us. 
Which one's true? No, the beautiful child. The inner child underneath it all. The beautiful child's the MS. What we said about ourselves, the kid didn't get picked for a team. And he feels unwanted. Is it true he's unwanted? It's, it's Emmis or Shaker? It's Shaker, sorry, in Yiddish it's Shaker. Shaker. Emmis or Shaker? Shaker. And if, if the kid now creates a whole personality so that everyone wants him, is that personality Emmis or Shaker? It's also Shaker. Why is the first one Shaker? That he's unwanted? Yeah. Oh, just because he's unwanted in one game. And maybe he's unwanted because they already had even teams. You understand? It could be they had even teams. They didn't want to have an even and an odd team. Or it could be the kid was small. Meaning smaller than the other kids. And they, it's basketball. And they, smaller kids not very helpful in basketball. You know, and they, so he just never got picked for the basketball team. And that's what they were playing all the time. And so the kid was a head smaller than everybody. I don't want a kid who's head smaller playing basketball with me. But it doesn't mean anything about the kid. But once he believes it means something, he's not going to get picked for Frisbee. (laughs) They're not going to pick him for checkers. You know, he's not going to get picked. And so once it becomes stamped in, like stamped in. So the question is, is self-esteem possible? And the answer is absolutely. Self-esteem is amazingly possible, but only when you get clear. You've got to get clean inside. You've got to get clear with who you truly are. And who you truly are is very, very pushing. It's very pushing. Who you truly are, no offense to anybody, is no one. Who you truly are is no one. What do I mean by who you truly are is no one? What I mean by that is who you truly are is you're in the Well, who's that? Well, no one really. I mean, it's just in the Shuma. It's not a big self-image thing. You can't describe it. I mean, go ahead. Someone here describe how, you're, how you being a Chelekelekomimal shows up. There's no self-image. But not only are you no one, you have another thing. God created inside of you a natural personality. Any of you ever been a teacher of kids who are three years old, four years old, five years old? Anyone ever handled a class like that? Anyone? Not one person in this room ever was in Chinook for little kids? Oh, a couple of women. You, you were? I had my own kids. Your own kids. But ladies in the back, you, one of you had a... 12-year-olds. Uh, 12 year that's too late. Anyway, I've had a lot of cheder rabbis say that, yeah, I had 20 kids. 20 kids who were 3 years old. 20 kids who were 5 years old. So I asked the, I asked the rabbi, I say, Did, was any of those two kids alike? He's just not even remotely alike. Every kid was mamasha. 12-year-old girls, everyone's the same. What happened between everyone being an oilam bifne atzma to 12-year-old girls are all the same? And the answer is, is that stuff happened. And they looked around and said, what's going to work here? And they started cutting and pasting, modeling off the other girls and the teachers and the parents and like seeing what's going to be Makubal here. And then they put on that outfit, so to speak. But it's just a reaction to something not true. A reaction to something not true is also not true. You get that? A reaction to something not true. Like, for example... uh, you guys know what left-wing millennial liberals are? You know what those are? Like left-winger millennial liberals in like American society and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So, do you know, you probably see it as Shekhar. But how do you know it's Shekhar? It's because they're reacting to things that are not good about society. They're reactions. What, what is it? Left-wing people? Yeah. Left-wing liberals? We'll discuss it after if you'd like. I don't want to discuss that right now. It's too much to explain right now. But they're reacting to something they feel is sheker. Well, what's a, what's a reaction to sheker? Sheker. 
we said something about ourselves that was checker, and then we created a whole other personality as a reaction to that. What's that? Checker. And so no one is who they actually are walking around as. Except... A 12-year-old, she worked on herself. She worked on herself to become better because you had somebody who didn't have any A kid from three years old doesn't know anything, so they want to punch the other kids, they want to do this, they want to do it. But by, by 12 years old, they went to school already many years. Now they're trying to do whatever the teachers uh, taught them. So why is it checker that... that they're trying to be older. <laughs> they're all trying to take whatever the parents and the teachers are trying to teach them. Yeah, that, it's, um, I wasn't discussing the good part. I was discussing the bad part. <laughs> That's the good part. You just described the good part. That's the emis. I was talking about the sheker part of the... We're only discussing right now personalities that they've lost their uniqueness. That's all. I'm discussing if, if kids lose their unique qualities... Now, back to, just real quick, we're just going to finish this, is that our chedak elakami mal is no one. There's no self-image to a neshama. Then there's the natural personalities, as the cheder Rebbe says, I had 50, 30 kids or 20 kids in my class, no two were alike. Then you have another thing that Hashem gave every one of us, and that's um, what you call, um, sorry, my head thinks in Hebrew a lot because I'm running seminars in Hebrew and it's so... But uh, it's called your, um, uh, your uh, how do you say tchunos in English? Nature, traits, yeah. characteristics, talents, traits. Yeah, it's like traits. It's, it's true <sighs> Whatever, it's, every person has naturally things they're good at. You'll notice some kids are really good with their hands. You'll see another kid's really good with uh, speech, and another kid's like, meaning every person has certain tchunas that, he's, that they're from birth. What? They're talents. They're like natural inborn talents. Like, I, I, if, I, if I'm even like, like putting in a light bulb, I'll wind up somehow in the emergency room for like, you know, like my hands just don't do that stuff. I work with my mouth. Like I'm a public speaker. I work this way. I think better this way. I like everything comes out of my mouth. I don't touch things. When we build my sukkah, my sukkah holds 100 people in it. So I get a whole group of bachrim. I tell them, all of your job, your main job, is make sure I don't touch anything. Because I don't want to go to the hospital. And then, of course, I, I like get involved and then immediately I'm cut. So people have these natural sets of strengths. All of us have these. We're born with them. God gave them to us because it's very important for our tafkid and what we're doing here. Now, we have no one with a unique personality and then certain, certain natural connections to tafkidim, like how we are poil in the world, how we, how we act in the world. That's inside of all of us. And so is self-esteem possible? Absolutely. But the way we got to get to self-esteem is through emis. we got to be emistic about who we really are. We have to be emistic. I mean, think about your lives. I mean, everything you do throughout the day, if I were to, like, call you in the middle of the day and ask you what you're doing, and then ask you why you're doing it, you know what you'd just say? You'd say to Emmis. Say Emmis. Like, let's say you're working. So I'd call you, i say, why are you working? you say, it's Emmis. i, I got to feed my family. The only way I feed my family is working. I'm working as Emmis. No matter what you're doing, everyone say the word Emmis. Together, one, two, three, Emmis. Again, one, two, three, Emmis. One, two, three, Emmis. So, now, I'd just like you to say that it's Emmis. First say yes, and then Emmis. Uh, sir, do you brush your teeth every day? Yes. Why? Emmis. You don't brush your teeth, they'll fall out. Okay? You eat a couple times a day? Why? Emmis, you don't eat, you're going to die. Yeah, you go to sleep once in a while? Not at Shabbos Keratuni. But you go to sleep once in a while, right? Why? Emmis, you don't go to sleep, your immune system goes bust, you... You catch a cold, God forbid. Um, you keep Shabbos? I hope. Do you keep Shabbos? Yeah. Why? Because I, I want to. Emes, Emes. Why? There's not an answer, though. Emes not an answer. If, Emes is definitely not an answer. If, if Moshe Rabbeinu did not get the Torah at Har Sinai, then it's not Emes. But if Moshe Rabbeinu got the Torah at Har Sinai, then the reason you're keeping Shabbos is because you believe it's Emes. 
You keep Shabbos? Yes. Why? MS. Excellent. You keep kosher? Yeah. Why? I have to. <laughs> 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 troublemaker. It's because you believe the Navu of Moshe Rabbeinu's Emes. It happens to be Emes. But you also believe it's Emes. And the, and the proof is you keep kosher. I'm hoping you keep kosher. But the, but, I believe, but the only reason you're keeping kosher is because of MS. Now, it could be you're keeping kosher because your parents kept kosher, your grandparents kept kosher, and you'd be a real shake if you didn't keep kosher. But bottom line is it's because it's MS. Bottom line is because it's MS. What you'll notice is every single thing you're doing throughout the day is because it's MS. Unless you're like, your Yetzirah took over. But as long as you're having a normal day, and I hope your normal day isn't your Yetzirah taking over, but... As long as you're having a normal day, every single thing you're doing throughout the day is MS. If I catch you eating pizza, you believe it's MS at the time. You're brushing your teeth, MS. You're you're getting some sleep, MS. You're you're keeping Shabbos, MS. You're wrapping your tefillin, MS. You're davening, it's MS. Like, everything you're doing is MS, except for what? Except for what? How you look at yourself. How you look at yourself, that's the shaker. It's amazing that we'll do everything emistic, except we're willing to say a bunch of sheker about ourselves. And then live our lives in this total Purim story charade. Like a, we're living our lives as this Purim play. We're in like some Purim show. And we think we're Haman. And then we're going to dress like Mordechai. And you think you're Vashti and you're going to dress like Esther. And Lamaisa, sadly, most people will be buried at the end of their lives. Many of them built whole giant dynasties for themselves. But they'll be buried and they'll get upstairs to the Oilam Ha Emes and Hashem's going to say, what the hell was that? For most people, most people are going to have that happen. And some of these people are pretty good people. Some of these people were very committed Jews. But they're living inside some crazy story about stuff that happened when they were kids and dynamics from Europe and reactions to the war. And, and like... Now... Hopefully they'll get reward, because I hate to say anything tough here, but the only thing you get reward for in the world of Emmis is everything you did Emmis. It's pretty scary. But the stuff, outside of, except for Chesed, you do Chesed, like Stuka and Chesed, doesn't matter why you did it. You could have done it for COVID, it still, get, it still has currency in the Olam Emmis. Everything else we do, all the learning we do, all the mitzvahs, everything we're doing. The only reward we get is for whatever we did ban this. And in our community, especially where Lavush is important and like, like you know, looking like you're Helige and doing Helige things. But if that stuff we're doing it is just to look good for people, to cover up that we're not really a Shagetz. So we could spend our whole lives toiling in Torah, toiling in mitzvahs, investing, building families of Torah and mitzvahs, and wind up with Zippo in Oil and Mammoth. Go ahead, you can... Don't go back to toothbrushing right this second. Right thing. Yeah, because if I don't, I wind up with trouble. Wait one sec. So I just was. Let me just finish that point. If we're, what? So what happens in the end is that it starts seeping into our Yiddishkeit and all kinds of aspects of our lives. But it's a very scary thing to live this way because that means our olama emes is at stake. Because the only thing we get in olama emes is whatever we did with emes. Right. Well, that's the, well, if it seeps into your Torah mitzvahs, then it's trouble. If it didn't seep into your Torah mitzvahs, and you are learning Lashma, even though you may not know who you are, 
and you've made up this whole thing about who you are. But when you're sitting in steigen, you're sitting in steigen, in learning, or in mitzvahs, so you're good. But pe- people who built up their mitzvahs to be a cover-up as well. So then it's... Thinking you're doing the MS and doing the MS might be two different things, but the only thing that will actually get reward is the MS itself. You know, what if I do chesed because people are going to like me? I do get tzachar, but yeah. it's in Hanukkah left because it's nice family time, then I won't get tzachar. Yeah, you get the tzachar of, of whatever Hanukkah means when you do Hanukkah for nice family time. That's nice. Building a family is a mitzvah. And having nice family. Yeah, you should light. In next Hanukkah, when you light, you should have studied into more of the emistic aspects of it and then light for the emis of it. Okay, um, I want to wrap this up. One thing I want to say is that... Just, I just want to wrap it up, and ladies, and say that... If, let's give an example. Someone became a Magid Shir to be seen as smart because he really was thought himself as dumb. He becomes a Magid Shir. When he's giving Shir, is he giving Shir or is he taking? See, so he's taking. Well, he's giving some, but I'll ask you guys, how much of a Shir do you get when the person giving the Shir is taking? You get some. You'll get some. When someone is living the emiss of who they are and then they give a Shir, and they don't need nothing from the people they're giving a share from because they're okay inside. They're clean. They're clean inside and they give a share. The giving or the taking? Giving. The giving. How much is the person listening to the share going to get? You get 100%. He gets it all because he's, he's giving it all. So what happens in the end is that when we get to the emiss of who we are and then we go back to our lives and everything we're doing with our life, so when we're coming from that emistic place, that's like, that, that's, our whole life starts to shine. Your life starts becoming a really, really gleich flow of, of interconnection and, um, and beauty. And you're, now you're truly building your alam haba. You, you, if, you're, if you're giving a shir, you're actually giving it. If you're doing a chesed, your mom is doing it. You're doing your mitzvahs. You're actually, it's really you, really doing a mitzvah, really doing it be'emes. And then it builds your whole ilam haba. Self-esteem is the emes. That, like who we really are, that's the emes of it all. And the way you break it down is just by understanding what did you say about yourself? How did you cover it up? There's one more step I didn't get into, which is a very important step, is to just get in touch with how it's been negatively impacting you and others. And once you get in touch with that, and then you're like, I'm not doing this again. I'm done with that. And so we naturally go, go into the emiss of who we are. Okay. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.